Brother Joshua Wilson is a gifted musician, dedicated father. His resume of accomplishments would take up the entire podcast. He's a scientist, a one-time father to over 200 children through his Sunshine Acres Children Home in Arizona. He and his late wife operated for some 20 years. He's also a serious student of the Ranch Book, and I am thrilled to have him join us on this edition. Your Rancher Radio podcast, and I, your name came up when I was talking to Jenny, a couple of podcasts, Jenny Martin, mm-hmm. and what intrigued me about the Urantia Foundation Scientific Symposium back in June of this year was there was a presentation done about thought adjusters, and you sent me something today, which is what we're going to talk about, and it's such a great, uh, it, it's actually one of my favorite passages it's the passage where it says from paper, uh, is it section nine? Anyway, it says your unsteady and rapidly shifting mental attitudes, this describes most of humanity, often result in thwarting the plans and interrupting the work of the thought adjusters or the adjusters. Their work is not only interfered with by the innate natures of the mortal races, but his ministry or this ministry is also greatly retarded by your own preconceived opinions, settled ideas, and long-standing prejudices. Because of these handicaps, many times only their unfinished creations emerge into consciousness, and confusion of concept is inevitable. Therefore, in scrutinizing mental situations, safety lies only in the prompt recognition of each and every thought and experience for just what it actually and fundamentally is disregarding entirely what it might have been. And the reason this is important is because so often in history we hear about, well, a lot of the religions that we have today are because of this very thing. Somebody gets some sort of communication from their inner spirit and they run with it. And along the way, they add all of their own luggage uh, and their shifting attitudes and their perceptions and everything else, their prejudices. And this is why we have so many different religions. Because every religion represents somebody who probably was spiritual or got a message from their adjuster, uh, but they threw in their own stuff. And and so it's, it's, it's important to know that. And that's why I sort of not focus too much on the adjusters, because I want to let that part be... be uh, a natural process. I don't want to impede whatever's going on. Uh, you know? Uh, well, you, you've very well described the situation and the challenge, and that's the perfect quote that you brought up. This is our problem or challenge, and it's the situation that mankind is in. So I'd like to start out on that thought with this beautiful celebration coming up this weekend for Jesus' birthday, that people all around, well, first it was all around the country, now it's all around the world, are celebrating. And I'm going to be up in northern Arizona with uh, uh, one of the only remaining persons who uh, was there in Chicago when this whole revelation came down. So I always like to uh, uh, talk to him and, and get information from him. Because what we understand through Jesus' birth and this, this God-man coming to earth 
is that he had a thought adjuster that came to him just as the thought adjuster comes to us at around five years of age. And he had to live his life. His great desire was to live his life following the Father's will. And the presence of the Father in the human is, is through this purest spirit entity presence of the adjuster that comes from the Heavenly Father. That's the way Jesus had to live his life. He didn't have any extra equipment, hardware, mental software, wetware, whatever we might call it. He had the same equipment that you and I have. He had to make decisions and more decisions and difficult decisions, even very difficult decisions. And finally, divine and perfect decisions. That's the way he had to live his life. That's part of the celebration of Jesus' birthday, is that he showed the way, and he had to live his life just like we are, uh, under this wonderful guidance of his Heavenly Father. And that was the great story, right? Because he had that bestowal experience. He, mm-hmm. lived, he learned just like we all learn, and yet he was able to conquer himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, guess what? You can do that. You can do it too. It, it, but it takes choices. Another great quote from the Arantia book is, life is all about decisions, more decisions, and more decisions. And that is referenced in your uh, in this great uh essay that you wrote that I want to get into about the brain because the brain and understanding how the brain works will help us understand how, according to what you state, how the thought adjuster functions inside of the brain. And that's correct. Right. And so let's talk first about, for those who may not be familiar, the Arantia book says that we, our model of human is a two brain typed series, which means we have two hemispheres in our brains and then there are places where there's life where the uh, the mortals have three brains. And then there are also other places in the universe where have they have people who are one-brained. Boy, sometimes I think I live amongst one-brained people, don't you, <laughs> Joshua? It certainly seems like it. Or they're not accessing both parts of the brain, perhaps. Uh, yeah. So you've done a lot of studying in this, and this is part of your thesis of your essay was based on examination of Ian McIlchrist of Yale University, who won a prestigious award for his understanding of the brain. So tell us how the brain works, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Would it, you would it. Yeah. Well, one of the revelations is that the brain is not the mind. The mind is a, a different composite soul reality that is growing day by day by day. Our brain is a temporary intellect system, loaned to us during our short sojourn on earth, but it's the equipment that we have to work with. And in the, uh, it's not only two hemispheres of a brain, according to the Rancho book, it's two brains. (laughs) So if we wonder why we're um, uh, double-minded sometimes, there could be a clue here because we're constantly passing back and forth between uh, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, ideas, thoughts, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do this afternoon? How do I solve such and such a problem? And so we, we toss these ideas back and forth. The right brain sees the big picture. 
The left brain concentrates on details, facts and figures. So if a person, and this is typical of our Western society, because I'm, I'm answering your question, what's happening with the brain, yeah. pretty much caught up in uh, the left brain thinking, <clears throat> analytical, taking things apart, uh, that's representative of our society. And the funny thing is about the separation between the two brains, they are anatomically clearly separated. I mean, there's a corpus callosum, which is a bundle of nerve fibers that connects the right and left brains, but it's mostly inhibitory uh, with its um, neuropeptides to keep the two domains separate. So what happens is we have the left brain doesn't know what it doesn't know. And it's very sure about its perceptions of the world. When you read that quote about settled opinions yeah. and longstanding prejudices, uh, boy, these can really take root. Now, the person that's becoming spiritually more aware and enlightened becomes more attuned to what's happening on the other side, seeing the big picture. And this is found in birds, in mammals, in fish. They all have two hemispheric brains. And so this is part of our legacy. Unfortunately, you might say, <laughs> we're coming up with a situation where humankind suffers with what the Urantia book calls the mark of the beast. And it actually uses that wording, which is also found in the Bible. And so <clears throat> this is not completely eradicated until we're resurrected and off into the mansion worlds. So don't feel bad <laughs> or, or singled out if you feel like you're, uh, you're suffering with the animal legacy of thinking. <clears throat> I'm reading a book right now by a woman called Erin Reich who wrote a book called Blood Rights. And it tells the story of um, even uh, viewable today, like in the savannas of Africa, where baboons will be in a field and uh, uh, a leopard or a lion will come over to the troop and will select out the weakest or the oldest or the adult male on the perimeter and attack that one and tear it to shreds. And at first the baboons all <clears throat> scatter, but then after the feast starts, they come back and they circle around and they watch what's going on. Okay, this is like the most primitive um, blood rite or sacrifice that's been imprinted in our animal legacy and came up through sacrifices that uh, the Egyptians and the Hebrews and virtually people all around the world would participate in. And there's kind of a schadenfreude, if I can use a German term, mm -hmm. uh, that enjoys uh, seeing this happen because these baboons realize they're completely safe and because one of theirs is being eaten and so they can kind of relax for a while because they it's know. it's not them. <laughs> yeah, it's not them. And it's kind of like they're in awe. Oh, boy, it wasn't me. Somebody Jeez. in the tribe had to die. 
Okay, there you oh, have yeah, it. Yeah, you yeah. Think about COVID. The sacrifice. Think about COVID and how well, we were all sheltered in and protecting, but we would see, ugh. But so that bestial tendency mm-hmm. is part of our legacy, as you say, because we are, in fact, evolutionary creatures with spirit potential, which, you know, for those who don't know, that's what the Arantia book specifically says we are. We're intended. Uh, we, we were planned. We were coordinated, even our minds. I do find it fascinating, though, that you're right. A lot of people today are, all, are almost strictly right-brained. They're just reacting their preconceived notions. They say that when you have a conversation with someone, the person, the minute that they sense what you're saying, they'll start to go back in their own memory, and then you'll hear them say things like, oh, I know what you mean. And then they'll start you know, referring back to their own preconceived ideas when, when it may not be what your idea is. Uh, so yeah. Right, they say, um, that reminds me of... yeah. And and then they go into that diatribe, it's and also, what we're trying to do. And I started to, sorry to start out with a downer with the the baboons on the African yeah. savanna, but this is this is wired into our epigenetics. That's interesting. And yeah, so we have to. We're trying to get past that now. Which moving on in the discussion, uh, we're moving into thought adjustment that lifts us up out of the the mark of the beast and the animal legacy into the explain the really uh, for those who may not be familiar what the mark of the beast is in, in religious terms, and then also in the Arantia reference. What's the difference? Uh, they're pretty much talking about the same thing. Um, the Arantia book lifts that up from the Bible reference uh, word by word as a means of describing the animal legacy. And that's why the term beast is used. And this is uh, uh, true in the Arantia book. It's true in the Bible. It's pretty much the same thing. Well, that the Bible has this tendencies. whole this whole political thing around it. And I don't want to dwell too much on it, mm-hmm. but to me, the differential is that in the Arantia book, the beast is, like you say, our legacy, our tendencies. Mm-hmm. And in the Bible, it's more of a litmus test to see if you're willing to take the mark of the beast in order to buy and trade or which, you know, that, that's, okay, good right? point, good yeah. point. So the, the beast in the book of Revelation is like a, a, an antichrist that uh, is, is ruling the world, Right. whereas the Urantia book viewpoint is this is within us. Okay, we are the Neanderthals, we are the Denisovans. Uh, a percentage of our DNA is Neanderthal and Denisovan. Mm-hmm. So Which we are those yeah. <laughs> creatures. Yeah. Yeah, we, we came up through the ranks. But, again, we were planned. It was not an act, accidental, random causation thing. This is, you know, so uh, let's get back to the the mind again and the brain, the differentiation. The mind is, is how do you differentiate between the mind, which is the thinking process, and the brain, which is the physical organ itself? Because you made that statement that the oh, brain yeah. is not the mind. So let uh, can you delve into that a little bit? Yes, indeed. Uh, The mind, uh, as differentiated from the brain. The brain is a physical organism, okay? It's obviously not going to survive death. It's going to perish, but the soul is going to continue on uh, into our future ascension career pathway. So the mind is the arena that choices are really made in. The brain 
is almost more like a television screen or a computer screen upon which images are projected and maybe uh, played with or looked at and considered. The soul, however, which is in, in what the Arantia book calls the Marancho realms, which has this warp and woof, it's somewhat material, but it's also somewhat spiritual. The soul and the mind, that, well, the mind is the gift of, of the uh, third source and center. The infinite spirit comes down through the universe mother spirit and endows us with mind. And so mind is that quality that continues forever and ever. It's changing, it's developing, and it's growing. And the mind is the offspring. If you could imagine a pot of soil, and the soil is your human uh, capacities, the seed that's planted within that is the thought adjuster, and the plant that grows up is the new creation of the soul. The soul is where mind resides. That's the real us, and that's why we should be paying attention to it. Our trials and tribulations here as we toss ideas back and forth between the right brain, left brain, right brain, we go through the day and sometimes we make ourselves dizzy. But it's like a tennis ball that's being passed back and forth of the, over the net of the corpus callosum that connects the two hemispheres. And we say to ourselves, well, I could go right, um, but maybe I should go left. And then finally, if we're so fortunate as to settle upon one, then the thought adjuster certifies that as a bona fide thought adjustment. And that is registered in our superconscious during sleep. So if you're not consciously aware of this, well, that's the reason. This is a superconscious activity beyond language. And during um, between one and five minutes every night during the deepest part of sleep, the pineal gland secretes DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And this is what the Orangia book calls the spirit receptivity series. Not only do we have two brains, we also have we're of the two gland series, pineal and pituitary. So we are actually designed to be open to this interface where the thoughts of our brain can be transferred up to our immortal soul. The thought adjuster facilitates that transfer. Almost like Bluetooth or some sort of a transference of data. It's uh, like that. Yeah. Well, it's a memory transcription, right? Yes. Yeah, that, that's good. The that's, transcription, um, these transcripts are, that's actually the thought adjuster's main purpose. I know people think it's something else, you know, your ranch book students, but the thought adjuster there is not available to soothe our ruffled feelings. Um, it, it's got a, the thought adjuster has a different purpose. It's to make these transcripts, which is, it does pretty much every night. So below yeah. the thought adjuster is the pineal gland and the pituitary, which reside in the center, very center of the brain. And it says that the thought adjuster rests lightly upon the electrochemical mechanism of the brain. That's what I just described. And touches gently with the Marancha energy system above. 
So you're right. It is like the Bluetooth connection from the physical brain to the spiritual soul. And I tend to look at a, uh, I do a lot of analogies, you know, metaphoric concepts, and a lot of the technology that we have today somewhat mirrors some of this transactional spiritual stuff, like you just said. Uh, you know, the process of, of, of getting a new body, and, 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 and how do you get all of that information into the new intellect of the resurrected body, right? Well, how do you get information from uh, one computer to another? You get a thumb drive, and you download, and you upload. When you're praying every night, are you getting a spiritual upgrade, uh, just like you would upgrade your computer so that it can perform more complicated or intricate performances, see? So there's some correlation on that spiritual realm that, that looks like uh, like similarly like the way we deal with our technology and digital and the Bluetooth and the Internet being able to... Sometimes if you if you wander away from God, you lose the signal. <laughs> Just yeah, like, a very good example. <laughs> uh, another interesting thing, uh, thing that has nothing to do with, but on a physical realm, an engineer explained to me that when you put two frequencies together in just mm-hmm. the right uh, uh, space, it creates a third entity, a third frequency. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and you're yeah, that's a scientist. exactly right. I'm familiar with that uh, interference pattern that creates um, yeah. a new and holographic information something? from the combining of the two frequencies. Yeah, it's called a diplex or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and I immediately thought of the conjoint actor when uh, God the Father and God the Son in that one-time moment that never was is existential then came into existence the not only the conjoint actor, which made that mental transaction possible between the father and the son and their relationship, but also came into existence the billion perfect spheres of Havona as a, as a, as a reaction to the conjoint oh. actor, the third source and center of all things, the universal mind. Anyway, it's just fascinating, and I'm loving this conversation. Tell us more about these p- p- pineal gr- glands, and yeah. how they help us receive uh, that process, because that's interesting to me. Yeah, so not only do we have the two brains, but we're what the Urantia book calls a certain spiritual receptivity series, and that particularly has to do at the center of, bra- of the brain, the tiny pineal gra- gland, which is only about the size of a grain of rice, and the pituitary gland, which is about the size of a pea. And yet these are all important, and they appear uh, either one, two, or three of these spiritual receptivity glands on every planet. It's common to all humans that are coming up through this human experience, and the secretions that they make are specifically, according to the Arantia book, for spiritual receptivity. Now, people that take um, psilocybin, or DMT uh, that are looking for psychedelic experiences, they're getting a temporary overload and an insight into what that process is about. Hmm. What we find out is that we're having this all the time. Everybody that goes to sleep, and especially the spiritual seeker, uh, during their time of sleep and rest, the DMT is being secreted by the pineal gland for what we might call a psychedelic experience of thought adjuster spirit receptivity and a composing 
of the thoughts that happen during the waking state. Interesting. And now science has, has recently found that cannabinoid receptors are in all cells throughout the whole body. We're finding out that melatonin receptors only in the last 10 years uh, through the work of Schellenberger and, and Ryder and others, that, that these receptors are throughout the whole body. And now we're starting to find out that DMT is produced and uh, is uh, distributed throughout the body, not only during the times of sleep, but during the waking states also. So we have a spiritual receptivity uh, glandular endowment that's actually secreting substances such as dimethyltryptamine into the bloodstream to facilitate the thought adjuster's reaction. Now, it's not just all woo-woo, and it's not just all spiritual. There is an actual mechanism that has been provided by the life carriers in the design of our bodily and mind and brain systems, I should say, to facilitate this kind of communication. I'm so glad you brought up the conjoint actor because what we're really talking about here is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This is all about God, and it's about how we are the the sons and daughters of God, and we are taking on these very same attributes. And when the, the thought of the Father and the Word of the Son, the Logos, are combined together in perfect synchrony and harmony, like those two frequencies you mentioned, something totally different and, and unexpectable comes about the conjoint actor, the third source and center, the infinite spirit. And this is this is the source of our mind. So it's, it's really all about God, is we're connecting with God, and we have attributes in our Trinitarian makeup that reflect the Trinity yeah, of God. Yeah, absolutely. The mind, the body, and the spirit. It's all in one right. package. You know, what troubles me is that I, I think there are some uh, archaic perceptions about the mind by which science, today's science, approaches the mind as merely a physical object which can be manipulated and controlled. Uh, So, for example, when you talk a lot about people who have anxiety, anxiety disorder, they just recently announced that all of this stuff that they had talked about, chemical imbalances, turns out to be completely false. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a unique approach and an original approach, the way the Urantia book talks about the mind and, and, and its relationship. But let me ask you before I get too off track, we need to address the adjutant spirits and how you mentioned, you know, the universal mind, the conjoint actor, is the source of mind. It's what gives us time perception. It, it's what gives us the ability to have relationships and communicate with other people and understand what their words mean. But in the first mind of, of Andon and Fanta, that were the first two human beings, they had to get to a level of activation. Something mm-hmm. had to happen in their mind which would activate and make them receptive to a thought adjuster, the mm-hmm. first moral decision. And it's an amazing thing, and I want you to sort of talk to this. Uh, that, that really reveals why the process of choosing God's will is just as important as God giving us a thought adjuster. It's not an automatic. We have to be willing to open the door. You know, he'll knock, but we have to open the door. And that thought adjuster is the door, Mm -hmm. in a way. Okay, so we're talking about 
the first human experiences of Van Don and Fanta, the first humans just shy of one million years ago. And the most primitive bacterium is active on the first adjutant mind spirit, which is an endowment from the universe mother. So, so all living things uh, have this endowment. In the case of the proto-human uh, or the primates and the mammals that were leading up to uh, what eventually became the first two humans, these assisting mind spirits, I a lot of times just call them assisting mind spirits because nobody knows what adjutant means. Yeah. It just means an assistant. So they are assisting and they're helping out, they're non-personal, but they're helping out each step of the way to um, spiritize our thinking. Once the seven adjutants finally work their way up to where this proto-human is operating on levels of worship and wisdom or, or touching or impinging upon that, and when those are completed, then the person is encircled. It's back to what you were talking about, our our analogies to the the world of information technology, we can understand that what it means to become encircled. Oh, great! I just got my internet connection. I just <laughs> plugged it in. <laughs> now everything's open to me. Okay, so we wow, get connected. Wow, hundred channels. <laughs> yeah, we, we we get connected with the Holy Spirit of of the Universe Mother. The Holy Spirit um, then makes possible. A lot of things, but most significantly, that person's soul level of activity is now qualified to receive the pure thought adjuster presence from the universal father. Okay. okay. Before yeah. that, yeah. the person really had no status or standing on those kinds of levels, but once in circuited, that's what happened with Andon and Fanta. They broke broke the way open. And that's what's happened uh, to you, Jim, and myself, and all those that are studying these topics, Dr. Jenny, the people at the Scientific Symposium, uh, all those in the Urantia movement and all spiritual movements that are seeking to find God and are aware that God is seeking man. Those kinds of people are now tuning into uh, higher spiritual realities and higher dimensions. Amazing. Uh, and so let's go now, moving back forward where we were. What is the the way that we treat mental illness today is completely wrong, in my opinion. And uh, and I want to address that because you have studied this. You obviously well spoken about the idea, of the structure of the brain, and how it operates. What is it that science is getting wrong, and how can we correct them? in their assessment of how the mind works. Oh boy, this was a huge revelation, uh, not to some of us, but at least to the academic community a few weeks ago when it was pretty much announced that this whole concept of serotonin levels in the brain having to do with mental illness and mental dysfunction and the subsequent uh, use of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, uh, that it was all flawed. Okay. Uh, I've been talking to my, I have three daughters who are all professionals in, in, in the health world. And the youngest one is, uh, 
uh, certified in uh, clinical counseling. She has her master's degree and then went through a number of years of supervision, finally got her certification. And so she's now in her young 30s. And I've been talking to her about this forever. (laughs) And so she ended up making a career out of it and is a professional counselor and doing very well in it. And we just recently had a conversation where we're both just shaking our heads, saying this has all been flawed. She's known this for a long time. She didn't have to wait for the study to come out, nor did I. We could see what was happening in the client populations. She's a counselor uh, in her realm. I've long been a pastoral counselor. So we've seen how family members and people we actually know, their lives have been ruined by these uh, psychoactive prescriptions that they've received. Thank goodness that this has has come to light. So, well, if that's not the way that it's working, if that's not the source of mental dysfunction, well, maybe you and I, Jim, are talking today about some things that are the cause and are the solutions. Well, I think we are. And I think going back to the left brain, right brain, the left brain is where all of your higher thoughts are. That's where it takes a look at the whole picture, which is... Oh, let me, let me just make a correction there. Sorry. Uh, Ian McGilchrist's study was that the right brain is the place where all of this is composed in the big picture. And the left brain, even of birds uh, that are looking for little seeds on the ground, is actually looking with its left brain and it's discriminating uh, is this a seed or is this a piece of gravel? Um, okay, I'm going to pick this seed up. But its right brain eye is looking up towards the sky and is thinking, mm, is there a predator coming down? Uh, is it beginning to rain? I wonder what's happening with my mate. Maybe I should get back to the nest. And the, le- the left brain eye is looking, oh, I'm looking for seeds, seeds, seeds. Yeah. <laughs> and it can't get off of that. So are you saying then that today society is ruled by left brain people who are only thinking about getting seeds and not the right brain people who are looking at the big picture? That's what's going on. And this is the crisis in our culture today. Mm. Wow. Um, This is amazing. So you have a, I don't even know where to go from here. I want to get back to prayer and worship because these are activators. These are things that, that are part of the free will process of reaching out, and they're detrimental to your spiritual health, which I think is what we're both alluding to. We need to pay attention to our spiritual health. It has nothing to do with going to church every week. It has everything to do with the holistic approach to having a relationship with your spiritual creator. Or you can have a relationship with your thought adjuster, which is essentially your future your future you. That's correct. And in transcripts and all of the decisions, moral decisions that you make day to day. Myself, I know a lot of people can relate. An opportunity comes into your life and you're deciding whether you want to take it and what the risks will be uh, versus the immediate gains versus the long-term gains. And you have to make that decision. The event itself is irrelevant. It's your decision-making process that develops your spiritual, I don't know, habits of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this habit of prayer—it starts out with a young child being taught by his parents, or the demonstration, the example is given of prayer. 
Then the child maybe is repeating some prayers, and then the child begins to make his own prayers. And then this moves on to our adult life. And those of us who are God-seekers and God-knowers, we eventually get to the place where it's, it's almost like what the Apostle Paul called praying without ceasing. Uh, this is how I feel. I'm just like, I'm going all day long, and I've got so many people that— um, I love and that I care about, and I find myself praying for them. Oh, dear God, help this one. And, and praying for my own awareness and, uh, and opening and understanding. And as, I, as it just bubbles up from within me, this life of prayer, then it starts to move into worship. And worship has none of the self-interest involved at all. It suddenly kind of moves up. It's like moving out of third gear into fourth gear or high gear, just shift, boom, we're up into another level. And we're just in awe and love and appreciation and amazement for God. That's worship. No self-interest. The minute self-interest intrudes into that, then it becomes prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Prayer is wonderful. But these are two levels that we kind of move back and forth through. And uh, I, for many years, have been a worship leader. Uh, in, in, uh, I was a music director at the first international conference uh, of the Urantia Book uh, Readers. It was held outside of the United States. It was held in Canada in the 1980s. And I was privileged to lead the, the worship at that and many other conferences. And I will tell you this, that, wow, that is a great joy to help people move out of whatever it is they're thinking about or is preoccupying their minds and just move into worship. The book says that that is our first and highest calling. That's what we're called to do. And it's what we will be doing when we eventually get to paradise. But we won't be sitting around eating ice cream and just worshiping for worship's sake, right? I mean, there's... Well, it's not exactly... <laughs> but at some point, it says that our... It's built up within us so much pressure. I see. Having I... come through such difficult lives and working all the way up through those billion perfect worlds, and we had to go through the whole super universe, that it's like, boom, it's like an explosion of worship where the conductors of worship have to go around to the worshipers and saying, uh, it's okay now. Uh, you can I get see. up now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it would have just continued on. But no, you're correct. We're not eating ice cream. But it's almost as if if we could just stay there in that state, we would. And then this threefold fluctuation comes from the very center of paradise. And it's like your worship has been received. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's a reciprocal. And, yeah. Right. Now you can go on. Now, Let's continue on. <laughs> does do we know whether the act of worship or the act of prayer does it cause any uh, secretions, uh, any physiological reaction in the brain in in the, in, the, in a similar way when you say when we sleep uh, and we're sort of in that subconscious? Are there any physical? Uh, is there a way to? You know what I'm saying? In other words, oh, that is a great. Because you feel idea. good. You never, you know, you how you feel good after, if, if you I, have that experience of praying or worship, you yeah. can't help but to feel a little better. And you wonder, is that a physiological response induced by a desire? Um, I, th I think there is most certainly a physiological response. Just like the runner 
gets runner's exactly. high because of the secretion yeah. of endorphins. Yeah. The person, uh, and your answer book talks about housed in a body uh, of relaxed sensibilities. When we're relaxed, we all know, and we're in, in a confident state of, of mind, that everything in our body works better. The pancreas, the liver, uh, the kidneys, the lungs, our muscles, our eyesight, everything comes into repose, and the repair mechanisms that happen can function like they're supposed to function. We can get what we need from our nutrition. If we're all upset, our, our digestive system is upset, we can't get the nutrition that we need. But when all those things are in play, and that's facilitated by prayer, because what happens during prayer? We come into calming. We come into uh, psychic alignment. And everything in the body starts working. So let's just carry this forward. Well, then that should also help with the proper functioning of the pineal and pituitary glands. And it most certainly does. The whole brain functions better. The cerebral uh, spinal fluid that the brain and spinal cord in is in. It's got the minerals and everything it's supposed to have. It's, got, it's now got these high-level spirit receptivity secretions happening. Absolutely. So, mm. good place to start is prayer. Think of all the things yeah. that could come out from that. It's hard for people to pray because they have preconceived notions, or they don't. They're not trusting. Uh, I would. I would say that my opinion is that people who don't know, they don't know who to pray to. They don't know what the mm -hmm. what that means. They're they're sort of vague. I had a person once tell me, God is just all out there, and I just it's too big for me. I, I don't know how to connect. You know. Yeah, but then, of course, you remember the kingdom of heaven is within you is what, what Jesus taught, and all the great religions teach this. Uh, but I guess it, it, if, it's, if, it, if it truly is intuitive, then that answer will reveal itself to the person who's, who's contemplating whether or not to pray. It'll happen. That's right. right? And, and I, I, I've known so many people like this, and I said, look, if you can't do anything more than just pray two words, God help, or God help me. Yeah, that's all you can get out when you're in that really dire situation. Uh, I I raised up over the course of a couple of decades 700 orphans as their uh, pastor and spiritual leader, uh, a children's home out here on the desert outskirts of Phoenix, and I taught all these children and their their house parents and the workers. There we were on a hundred acres out in the middle of the desert. It was very challenging, um, running a nonprofit organization like that, kind of against all odds. But that's what I taught. I just I said, just reach out. That's all you can say is God help me. And uh, we had taken three little boys uh, from California, and they were in Sunday school before the chapel service. And uh, our teacher brought up. A story for some reason it was in a magazine about the uh, Manson family in California. Some of you who are older remember that story, the Manson murders oh, and sure. the cult and yeah. that whole thing that happened there. Mm -hmm. And while she was reading the story to these kids, uh, the little boy that had just joined us that week, he raised his hand. He says, I was there. Really? So, what? 
And so he had just come in that week and we, we hadn't talked with our social worker. And we found out the three young boys, their ages were like six, eight and 10, um, had all three come from that cult compound. Their father was the one who had tried to uh, rob a bunch of um, guns from a gun store. And then the police surrounded it and he tried to shoot his way out. And he was put in prison, mm. and as a result, these three little boys uh, wound up under our care. And if you so, saw the movie recently, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. That's pretty interesting. That's, that's the that's, area that's where they happened. were, right? Up there in well, Northridge. these three boys learned how to pray. They learned uh. how to worship. They're no longer 6, 8, and 10. They're in their 30s and their 40s now. They're all married. They have their own families, and all three of them are ordained pastors and have national and international ministries around the world. That's amazing. Are helping wow. thousands. What a great story. What From rags to riches. Yep. I mean, my goodness, coming from the worst background. One of these days when I have the guts, I'll, I'll share with you how I discovered the Arantia book in the most unlikely of circumstances. Um, but listen, uh, Joshua... This is too good to be true to have you on the Arantia Radio podcast, but I fear our time is short, uh, and so I'll say this to you. Will, will you promise me that you'll come back at some future point and we can talk more about uh, just the things we're talking about today? I want to get into some of the stuff that you're involved with, with the Arantia Foundation and other things that you're doing. I do mm-hmm. want to remind people that you have a book, which is called The Inner Mansion is that correct? The inner mansion. Correct. Inner mansions. Inner mansions. It is available, and you can also. Can I give out your email address? Or yes, you'll... please, sure. please write me. I just love getting um, messages from people. I will share it with anybody who writes me at musical at cox net. M u s i c a l at cox net. I would love to share that with you. I'm hoping one day I'll find myself in California, Arizona, and you and I can go for a nice hike. Oh, that would be great. I, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> we're, we're broadcasting from the Melchizedek Library, uh, Arizona Outpost today, and there's so many good things happening here. And, and the answer, Jim, is yes, absolutely. Let's continue this conversation. Very much so. And next time we'll have you on, you can talk about the Melchizedek Library that you're doing, uh, which has mm-hmm. got quite a history itself, from what I'm told. Uh, thank you again, Brother Joshua Wilson. Uh, here on the Arantia Radio Podcast.